Good morning. I gotta tell you, that video before every uh, sermon in this series makes me anxious. It's like, I'm like, it feels like my heart's beating all the way. Now, I didn't, I don't think that'll offend the person who made the video because I was sitting next to her husband and I asked permission. He said, she'll laugh, it'll be okay. So I didn't offend anyone in that. Hope you guys had a great week. Uh, my daughter turned 11 this week and so we're gonna start charging rent. So that's exciting. That means more coffee for our family if we can charge rent. So um, we're gonna jump into our Win the War in Your Mind series this week and again next week. And in particular today, we're gonna talk about lies that we believe, very common lies that, that many of us do believe and how that can hurt us when we believe these lies. Lying, I think, is most subtly directed towards us through marketing, right? I mean, it's like, you know, uh, buy this scarf and your life will change. And you're like, well, I want my life to change. You know, it's amazing. Or buy this car and you can drive places. All right, that's true. That's true. If you buy a car, you can drive places. But the marketing and the lying that happens in that is just so subtle sometimes. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes brands aren't even trying to hide it. For instance, if you're a parent or a grandparent of, of young children, you've seen this horrible new toy come out called Mini Brands. Mini Brands, there's a company called Zuru that is doing this. The toy, are, they're miniature replicas of products. So they're, they're tiny, they're, they're the size of like a little thumbnail or something. And, and it's like mayonnaise. Now, now, if that mayonnaise was to scale according to the cart, it would be terrifying, mayonnaise, right? But it's not even exciting stuff. It's like tapatio, hot sauce. And your kids are like, oh, I got hot sauce. You know, they don't open. There's no food in them. But it's like soy sauce, ice cream, mayonnaise. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And this is the toy. It's hidden in a little ball. You don't know what you're going to get. It's a surprise toy. And when they open it up, they get all excited. And then they sell them a little set to put the toys in little shopping you know, areas and everything. And so some kids love it because they use it with their, their Barbies or with dolls. And uh, I'd like to say that our family is immune to this, but our kids think it's the coolest thing, but it is a scam. It, I mean, they're not even trying to hide what they are trying to do. Shannon even doubled down on this. And I think we're the worst family in the church for this, but she told the kids one time, I'll, we'll get you this little thing. And then you get to pick one of the mini brands that's your favorite and we'll go to the store and buy it. I'm like, no, it's working. They're winning. They're winning, sweetie. No, that's what they want you to do. Here's an internal email by the company. Here's what they said to their own employees. Partnering with a toy brand allows consumer brands to access the household shopper through the most influential channel of all, their children. You're like, they're coming for our kids and they're successful at it. We're buying the lie. Buying fake mayonnaise will bring you joy in life. Listen. We're losing the battle for our minds by believing the lies of the enemy. There's an enemy of our soul and his greatest tactic is to lie to us, but he's not even trying to hide it. it he, we know the lies that he is going to tell us. Deceit is his major tactic, so much so that Satan is called the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And from the very beginning, he's been trying to sow seeds of doubt in our minds. In Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden 
You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan from the very beginning has been whispering to us, trying to get us to believe a different narrative that is not true at all. He's trying to convince us of three things. God is not good, God is not strong, and God is not trustworthy. That's, that's the, the source of the lies, is one of those three categories. God's not really good. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. He's not strong enough to help you, and you can't trust him or the Bible. And these are the lies that ruin us, and the only way to stop a lie is to bury it with the truth, to remind ourselves consistently of what is true so that we can expose the lies that are there. And so today we're gonna to expose a few of the most common lies that people tend to believe. We're gonna see how they negatively impact our lives, and then we're gonna compare them with the truth of Scripture so we can confront the lies with the truth of God's Word. And so specifically today, we'll talk about four common lies that people tend to believe. And as these lies are in our minds and we're trying to decide what to do, we have to confront them with truth. And here's the first lie, and it's not even gonna sound like a lie, all right? But here's the first deceit that comes our way. It can wait. This is the lie. It can wait until later. We believe that so much so, and it can ruin our lives to believe simply, oh, it can wait. And this is connected to the lie that God is not good. And so when God tells us good things that we should do, we say, it can wait until later. And the enemy says like, well, it's, it's good, but like you don't have to do it now, you can do it later. There's always time in the future for you to do this. And so we think prayer, that's good, but it can wait until later. Reading the scriptures is good, but it can wait until later. Serving the Lord is great, but, but it can wait. Dinner with my family, I think that's gonna be so good, but it can wait. This week is just too busy. And we are convinced that somehow the busyness is going to end. I love talking to, uh, when I was at the Bible college, talking to students, and they would tell me how busy their lives were. Some of them were, but it was, it was a little hilarious and I had to kind of not chuckle in front of them as I thought about my life compared to theirs. And I think there's no way they're even close to how busy I am in my life with little kids and all the different things that I'm doing. But I wouldn't mock them for that because I felt that busy when I was their age. Every season of life will feel busy unless we carve out time for the good things that God wants us to do. This is subtle because we're not saying we don't wanna do these things. We want to do godly things. We want to do good things and we will later. And then later takes forever is the problem. So the basic question that we have is what do we do with the time that is granted to us? What do we do with that? The first step to re regain control of time is to figure out what is actually important and good in our lives so that we can plan for that. If all else fails, at least I'll accomplish this during the week, and we plan for it. How do we figure out what's important? Well, Jesus modeled, modeled this for us. In Mark chapter one, this is one of my favorite parts of scripture, because Jesus in his humanity is trying to show us how we should live our lives, how we can get away from the chaos and seek what is good. Mark chapter one, verse 35, says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, 
let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now, we would expect in this moment, hey, it's great that Jesus is talking with the Father in a private place. That's cool. But Jesus was in the middle of successful ministry. Crowds were gathering to hear him preach and saying, amen, this is good. Who is this guy? This is fantastic. And they were starting to follow him. So naturally, when Simon and the others said, where is he? We got to start. The crowds are forming. If, if at any time somebody would say to a missionary, there's a crowd that wants to hear from you, you would assume this is God's will. He gathered the crowd and I'm going to preach. But Jesus comes and says, no, let's leave. Let's leave that crowd. I've shared the good news with them. I have to go other places and continue to share with those that are far from God, with those that are lost. It shocked the disciples. Why wouldn't you go to where there was a crowd, where there was favor? Well, Jesus spent time with the Father in prayer and in his humanity remembered, I must preach the gospel everywhere. I need to keep on going. It's not just to one place to build a local thing that I am called to, but to everyone. And so Jesus spent time with the Father and he was able to clarify, he wrote, he wrote that is why I have come. That is why I've come. And we need to figure out why are we here? The result of Jesus always checking in with the Father to figure out what his ministry should look like is that at the end of his life, he could say, I have finished the work in John chapter 17. Before, before even the cross, he was able to say, I have finished the work. How? Well, in that same verse, it says, I have finished the work. And then listen, which you have given me to do. All of us have something from the Father that we are to do, something that we are called to do. There are common things that all followers of Jesus are called to do. And then there are particular things each day, each week, and each season of our life that we are called to do. And we have to figure that out because a need just by itself is not a call from God. And needs will come at us all the time. Just like Jesus, while he was praying and all of a sudden he was interrupted, the crowd is there, they want to see you. There was a need, they needed to hear something, but it wasn't the call of Jesus in that moment. And so we have to determine what is our calling? What is important in our lives? Many people have written on how to prioritize your timing. I'm gonna put uh, Covey's time management grid on the screen because I think it's really helpful, right? To figure out what is good. He divides everything into four quadrants. You'll notice on the left, it says there's a category for not important, important, and on the top, urgent and not urgent. So what's something that's urgent, but also really important? It's right there in front of you, a crying baby, a crying baby you need to deal with in that moment, that's important. The baby can thank me later. A kitchen fire should be dealt with immediately. You don't say, oh, I'll wait, I'll, I'll deal with that later. A medical emergency, there are some things that are urgent and important that happen right away. Each day we experience something urgent and important and we need to do those things right away. But then there are some things that are important, but not urgent. That's the key category. That's the key category that we need to spend more time there and plan to use more time over here in quadrant two. Those are things like discipleship, building relationships. They don't just build themselves. We're not good friends just by accident. We need to build relationships, exercise, and rest. There's some things that are very important, but they don't feel urgent. Those are the things we say, it can wait until later. But that's the quality time of life. Now, down here at the bottom left, where it says not important and urgent, quadrant three, those are things like daily interruptions 
that really do interrupt you from doing quality things, but they're not actually as important as other people are making them to seem. Some emails and calls just aren't important or urgent, but other people are interrupting you. Other people's problems pressed upon you saying, this is the most important thing. And you realize, man, just because you haven't planned well doesn't make it my important emergency that I have to deal with. This area is very deceiving because it feels important because of the urgency that someone is telling you it has to be dealt with. But it's a deception. And as we give into that category and we're just going with whatever hits us without making any plans, not knowing when to say no, we're deceived because we're doing things that aren't really important. They're deceptively important. And finally, there's this category called waste, right? And that's, we just can't really describe it any other way. When we have excessive social media, endless TV, excessive news, it becomes wasteful. All of those things in a category used as a tool can be helpful. Right? It can be helpful to inform family and friends about how cute your kids are or what you're up to or inviting people to church on social media. That's, that's great. TV can be a great time of bonding with the family. Right? We, we let our kids kind of binge watch TV for the first time. There was this cute uh, Star Wars animated thing that had little 13-minute episodes and it was Abigail's birthday. And so we kept on saying yes at the end of each episode saying we can stay up. It was her birthday, it was Friday night, let her keep watching. And we taught our kids with a great important truth in life of binge watching TV and how healthy that is. Well done, Andy. Listen, this is the category we need to limit. We don't have to say we won't do these things because they're not evil by themselves. The excess of them, the addiction of them is what is a waste. And so we limit that category to find more of the quality time that we want. We learn to say no in that deception category and we avoid those things that aren't really important, but they're hitting us daily. We say, no, I'm not gonna focus there. I'm gonna spend more on quality time. Right? We, we have to look at how we make decisions about what is important and plan for what is quality, plan for what is important first, and then go from there. The truth that combats this lie is it's worth it and it can't wait. It's worth it and it cannot wait. We need to do the good things now. Psalm 90 says this, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So listen, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We have to learn about the brevity of life, that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, that our life sometimes in the Bible is described as a vapor, just a mist. And we need to say, well, this week, if I accomplish these good things, it'll be a good week, no matter what doesn't, else doesn't get done. Right, so combat this lie with, it can't wait, it's worth it. Another common lie that we believe sometimes is, I know what's best. All wisdom and knowledge is inside of me. It's in my mind, I know what is best. Here, Satan is trying to tell you God is not trustworthy. Don't consult God, godly people, God's word. God is not trustworthy. You know what's best. We think to ourselves, I don't need to be in the word because I know I don't need to come to church each week because I know what I can do. And how often do we get into trouble because we quietly move forward and do something without asking anybody for advice? And then afterwards, when it all blows up, somebody said, man, did you ask anybody if this was a good idea? And you're like, no, but I thought it. <laughs> and I moved forward and I did it. And it can lead to so much trouble. The truth is just because we think it doesn't make it true. 
Just because it's in our minds doesn't mean that it's true or it's best. Now we ask, what's the harm of think it, hear it, see it, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna do this thing. What's the harm of that mentality that we can have? Well, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There will be times in life where we are so confident that we should move forward with something and we're just wrong. The Proverbs say there's times where you're deadly wrong. And so we need to slow down if this is a possibility. Before we go for it, we need to add something. So it's think it, hear it, see it. And then let's add, check it. Check it for truth before we go for it, before we move forward. That will never hurt us to do this. So how do we check our thoughts and feelings for truth? Well, I know for a lot of children and even adults, I've just been thinking about kids, teenagers, they check it with Google, YouTube, and their peers. And I just want to say, be careful, parents, if that's where your kids are getting their main advice. Those things are not geared towards godliness, towards true wisdom, but towards the world. They can be used as tools, but they can be used against us if there's unlimited access to these. There are two powerful tools that we can use. And one is reading the word of God and asking a mentor. And I would say a mentor that has the spirit of God in them is the best mentor that we can ask. Because you can lie to yourself, but God's word will never lie to you. Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts, listen to this, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we are lying to ourselves, even when we don't know it, we think this is what I should do. I know, I know. And we have a habit of going to the word of God because God cares about us. God's word is, is living. There, it should not surprise us that as we're going through different things in life and we read the word, it speaks in a relevant way to what we're going through and can help us even discern the intentions of our heart. Our own motives can be unmasked and, and uncovered by the word of God. What a valuable tool that even though it's embarrassing to say, that sometimes we lie to ourselves and we don't know what's best, that God has given us a resource of truth that is reliable, we can go to that. But also a mentor, Proverbs eleven fourteen says this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. In another translation, it says in a multitude of counselors. And I, one time when I was preaching, I, I mixed up all my words and I said, in the counseltude, there is safety. And everyone told me that's not a word. I'm like, it sounds like, it sounds like a word though. It sounds like multitude of counselors. And so I'm still trying to talk to Webster's about adding that, but they've refused to this point to do it. But listen, when there's no guidance, you fall, you make mistakes. It doesn't help us. But if we can have counselors in our lives, people that we trust, people that are maybe beyond us in years that we respect their wisdom and can say, what do you think about this? Just to slow us down a little bit. Sometimes we just need one day to slow down and not send the email. And it'll be an entirely different email, won't it? Just by sleeping on it. Counselors will, it will never be done wrong if we have them. Just this past week, my discipleship group that meets on Tuesday mornings I was sharing how my week was going and, and they challenged me on something that I thought was true. And, and they said, well, did, do you really think 
that you didn't bother that person when you said this? Do you really think there's no problem there? And I'm like, why do you guys keep saying that? I'm like, wait a second. These are the people I've been with all year that I trust and I care about. And they're telling me, slow down, think about it. And they asked me to go back and ask some questions. And I, and I did. I submitted myself to that because they're trusted counselors. And that was a helpful thing to do. Another lie that we have is my unhappiness is externally caused, right? The only reason I'm unhappy is because of other people and outside events. How other people treat us and difficult events that I go through, that determines my attitude. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have strong reactions to what other people do to us or to what life does to us. But can we blame our unhappiness on those things? Sometimes we treat external causes as, as the causes of our feeling. That's why I'm feeling this way rather than a trigger of the feeling. Saying this triggered me to feel that way, but I can leave this feeling and I can move past it with God's strength. The truth is happiness is a disposition of the mind, not a condition of circumstances. And not believing this can lead to, to bitterness and, and, and revenge in our hearts that we want to have towards other people. Let me read to you Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, that word just means happy. Oh, how happy. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. We can be happy not because of our external circumstances getting better or people not picking on us this week and pushing our buttons, but by finding refuge in God himself. This is obviously an internal refuge of the mind, of the soul, where we can go to God and find safety in his fortress, right? We can experience this, but it will require us tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's an intimacy with the Lord, a real relationship with God, where we know we can run to him in our worst moments. I wanna read you a quote of one of the worst moments in our modern history. It's by Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian psychiatrist and he was Jewish and he was a prisoner in three Nazi, uh, Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And here's something that he said that was striking. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. It must've been mind boggling to witness this at the worst time that, that these people have ever experienced in their lives. There, will, there were still other people that were in control of their attitude and deciding to pour out rather than to sit there in their pain. Now, I don't know how those guys were able to do that. We're not, we're not told why they had that strength, but we do know how another prisoner in scriptures was able to say this, do everything without grumbling. You think, man, that is really all-inclusive. Do everything without grumbling. I can control my attitude in all situations, and I don't have to complain based on the circumstance. How do you get there, Paul? Well, he wrote in chapter four of Philippians that he learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. We can learn contentment, whatever the circumstance. For Paul, 
It was by dwelling on who Jesus was and having a relationship with him. And as he realized that Jesus left the paradise of heaven to come into human form, to serve us and to die for us. And everything Jesus went through, Paul realizes, what am I really going through? How bad is it here in my prison when Jesus was crucified and Jesus came and did this for me? And he was able to learn contentment by thinking about Jesus. And this contentment is possible for all followers of Jesus. Jesus gives us something different than the world gives us. He told us that in John chapter 17, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. It's not going to feel the same way as the world's peace. It's not going to come the same way as the world's peace does. But the peace of God is given to us in a different way. As we seek refuge in Jesus, he has peace for us. And so external circumstances are hard. I believe that. And I don't want to minimize that. But God is so powerful and God is so good that he wants to help us. So don't doubt that God is strong. That's what the enemy wants you to doubt for this life, that God is strong enough to give you joy and peace no matter what you're going through. God is strong enough in those situations. And the final lie we're gonna talk about this morning is I can't change. Another God is not strong enough lie from the enemy. I can't change because Things have been going on this way for a long period of time, and that is sufficient proof that I cannot change. So some think that they are, they are permanently entrapped by addiction to abusive drugs and, and drunkenness. I am permanently trapped here is the lie. I am defeated by my failure. I tried and I can't. People struggling with an addiction to pornography thinking, well, it's just been this way since I was a child. I can't change. I'll just have to learn to live with it. That's the subtlety of this lie. I'm defeated. Instead of pursuing victory still, I will learn to live in my defeat, in this compromise, in this season of loss, I give up. But the truth is, with God, all things are possible. And we see it every week in our Celebrate Recovery meetings. Every week we see the strength and the mercy of God displayed in countless people's lives. And it couldn't be more encouraging to watch that. And we have promises from God in this area. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's God's faithfulness that we can lean on, not our consistency and our own strength. It doesn't say no temptation except drugs, no temptation except pornography, no temptation except drunkenness. No, it says no temptation. God can help us and he'll do that by providing a way of escape. And as you memorize this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and as you pray for God to show you those ways out, they, they appear. And you have moments of clarity where you realize I can keep going down the path or I can take this door of escape. Sometimes it's a phone call, a friend showing up, a, a moment of clarity and a thought you have where you can detour yourself away from the sin. God can help us. And it's not possible by trying harder, but it is possible by recognizing our weakness and letting our weakness inspire us to go to someone who is strong to say, I am going to Jesus. I'm going to learn to abide in the vine. I'm going to stay close to Jesus so he can give me the strength that I need. 
And that is a humbling thing. But guess what? All of us need to be humbled to be vulnerable and transparent and share our weaknesses with the body of Christ, with other people. And the secret sauce that is happening at Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights is being vulnerable and transparent and saying, I'm not enough. I need Jesus. And other people saying, me, me too. I need Jesus too. I struggle too. And they're in that light. When you bring your sin into the light, your struggles and your weaknesses into the light, God honors you in those moments by building you up and giving you strength. And it can happen in practical ways where you have accountability and can happen in an inner way where God builds you up. But that is something to be celebrated. For this lie and every lie we've discussed, there's a change that can happen in our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind can be renewed no matter how late in life we think we are holding on to something that's been there. Our mind can be renewed. We can't just go along with the flow of the pattern of this world. We can break that pattern by burying ourselves in the truth of God's word. And so the truth is God is good. God is strong. God is trustworthy. And so I wanna ask, what is the one particular lie that you tend to believe most often? What's, it may not be one of these four. It could be another thing that you just, you just know it's not true, but what is the one lie that you believe personally? And if you're sitting here thinking there is none, then the lie that you're believing is, I've got it all together. And that's not true either. There's a, there's a particular lie that we believe that is affecting our lives. And so the challenge for this week is to identify that lie, to consider how it impacts our life, to search for the truth of scripture, to confront that lie, and then tell a mentor, tell somebody in a life group, tell somebody in a discipleship group, tell someone that is a mentor to you and ask them for prayer that you could believe the truth. Not only is this going to be freeing for you, but it may just encourage them to open up about the lies that they're believing as well. And so for me, I think the lie that I most believe out of this list is it can wait. It can wait until later. There's a, a deep burning passion and I'm convinced of the truth when it comes to discipling my children. That doesn't mean it's legalistic. That doesn't mean it's gonna be boring, but like, I wanna actively pour into my kids so I can say, I am the primary disciple maker of my household. I'm not outsourcing that to ACDC kids or, or youth ministry. Those are complementing what I'm doing, not supplementing what I'm doing. And so we, we try and have seasons always of where we're trying to read the scriptures. And for us at dinner time is a great time to read the scriptures because we're gonna eat and it's going to remind us to do that. But there's one thing in particular that I'm trying to make myself do that in my mind, the lie I'm believing is it can wait until later because it's, it's time consuming. I, I wanna isolate my kids one at a time, we'll just walk across the street to Starbucks because I've been blessed by God. I have the favor of God to walk to a Starbucks, right? I wanna walk there with my kids and sit with them and buy them a cute little frothy drink that has no caffeine. And I wanna tell them about Jesus in a way where it's like I'm, a, I'm in a discipleship relationship with an adult. And so I've done this a few times and they love it and I love it. And we read the Bible and I try and teach them how to do basic journaling. And it's adorable seeing my six-year-old Titus just write one or two words down and, and we talk about it. And then you think it can wait until later. I can't, every week is a bit much. Just yesterday I had this thought, should I do this today? No, it can wait until later. But I gotta tell you, 
One of the times when I, I did this with my daughter, we studied a little bit of James and we talked about it and tried to be practical about it. It was a few weeks later that my family went to uh, Washington, D.C. We went to the Museum of the Bible. You should just be like, oh, our pastor's a Bible nerd, yep. And uh, it's just a cool museum, brand new and just really well done. And there's this little booth where people can record how the Bible has impacted their lives. And my daughter goes in here, Shannon gets her all set up and it just says, how has the Bible affected your life? And then I get emailed a video and I'm saving this video forever where my little 10 year old said, one time my dad took me to Starbucks and we read the book of James and we talked about you know, needing to be patient and, and how, how the, we can counter all joy when we go into various trials. And that same day, that truth helped me to calm down when I was going through a difficult time. And I remembered that truth and that helped me. Do I not have all the evidence in the world that it's worth it and it can't wait? And yet I'm still tempted to believe the lie. The Lord's already shown me the first time I took her to Starbucks and I did this thing that I said, what would happen if I did this every week? And we made it fun. The first time the Lord gave me the evidence saying, it's worth it. It matters and it can't wait. And my wife and I are trying to sketch out a, a rhythm and a schedule for our family saying, if we just do these things with our family and other stuff doesn't get accomplished, we'll say, this has been a good week. That it's been a good week because God is good. And when he tells me to do good things, it's for my best interest. And so identify the lie that you're most tempted to believe and then let's deal with it. But it's, it's true for all of us that we are susceptible because these are subtle lies. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can follow him to the Father and experience that blessing here on earth. And so Father, would you please uh, first help us to identify what lies we're believing and then Help us to discover the truth that we can confront that lie with. We admit that the, uh, the enemy of our soul, even though his tactic is familiar and the same, that he is sneaky. Lord, that it does affect us, that we do buy the lies of, of the enemy, the lies of a culture that is rebelling against God. But we want to follow the truth that we see in the scriptures. And we know sometimes you'll speak that truth through other people in our lives. And so give us those relationships so we can go deep with people. Do that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna have some people up here that would love to pray for you. So please come forward so we can pray for you. We'll see you next week. God bless.